536 B.C., the children of Judah returned back to the city of Jerusalem and to the land of Judah. When they arrived home, they found the city and the walls burned with fire and their houses destroyed. They set about to begin to rebuild their homes. They did a good job of rebuilding their homes. However, the temple of God was lying in ruins, and God sent Haggai and Zechariah to tell these people, is it time for you to live in paneled houses while my house lies in ruins? And the children of Judah, the Israelites, were forced by guilt to get busy on building the temple of the Lord. However, after the temple was built, and for about another 50 to 75 years, the heart of the people was not in their worship and their service to God. In our last lesson two weeks ago, we looked at the first part of the book of Malachi. And we observed in chapter 1 that there were a lot of people who were losing interest in serving the God of heaven. It was obvious in the things they were doing, the way they were living. We're now ready to study chapter 2. And when you study chapter 2, one thing becomes painfully apparent, their families were falling apart. The truth is, drifting away from God has some very serious consequences in our lives. If I choose to do that which is contrary to God, I'm going to suffer the consequences of it. In Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 15, Solomon observed, Good understanding gains favor... But the way of the unfaithful is hard. He's going to find the choices that he has made in life bring about sadness and sorrow and difficulties and troubles. As I go a little bit further to the book of Hosea, to chapter 14 and verse 9. There Hosea says, Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them, for the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but carefully, the transgressors stumble in them. Those who choose to violate God's law are going to find themselves stumbling, tripping, and falling through this world. Malachi describes the failures of the people of God and God's attitude toward them. God is disappointed in His people. God is discouraged because He has given them everything they need and in return they've given God a half-hearted sort of faith and as a result their families are falling apart. I want you to take your Bibles. This is going to be a Bible study this morning. We're going to study the book of Malachi chapter 2. We're going to look at three things that 
are revealed in this chapter. The first one was their intermarriage with foreigners. That was one of the sources of their problems. Number two, we're going to look at their faithless marriages. The fact that they didn't live up to the promises which they had made. And then number three, we're going to look at their failure to appreciate God's divine justice. So let's begin. Let's begin, first of all, by looking at verses 10 through 12. And God, speaking through Malachi, says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this being awake and aware. Yet, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts? Now, folks, there's a lot within that. Time will not permit me to discover every detail for you. Let me, if you will, focus on one of the primary things that is found here in verse 11. They have profaned the Lord's holy institution, which He loves. God loves marriage. God loves the home. He loves it when people are doing what they're supposed to be doing in their home. But you see, the problem they had, they had married the children, the daughter of a foreign god. The best commentary I can give you on this is found in the book of Ezra, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And it is relevant, not only time-wise, but descriptive of what had happened He said, when these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priest and Levites, notice who this is describing, have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, Hittites, Pezzarites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons so that the holy seed is mixed with the people of the lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and the rulers have been foremost in this trespass. What had happened? The majority of the people had been taken to Babylon. The ones who were left in the land were primarily the weaker people of the land, and generally those who were not farmers. And so, and so you have a large number of priests and Levites who were left within the land. While the majority were gone, they intermarried with the people whom the Assyrians and the Babylonians had brought in to settle the land. 
and their intermarriage was wrong. You say, what do you mean it's wrong? It was a violation of God's divine law. When the children of Israel were prepared to cross the Jordan River, go into the Promised Land, here's what God said to them in Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 and 4. You shall not make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor shall you take their daughter for your son. For they will turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. He's saying don't intermarry with the people of lands. Why? Because they will take you to worship their gods. It doesn't take long to look through the Bible and see exactly what God said would happen did happen. I'll give you two very brief illustrations. First one, Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 11. And the writer of the book of Kings says, King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after other gods, Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Now, if you want to know what happened, look at verse 5. Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab on the hill that is east of Jerusalem. That's the Mount of Olives. And Molech for the abomination of the people of Ammon. Folks, Solomon, a man who had loved the Lord, the man whom God had inspired to write the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, that man apostatized. He left God because he married these foreign women. Even briefer, you can notice as we go on, Ahab. Ahab was a wicked king. But in the description of him in 1 Kings chapter 16, it says, And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Verses 32 and 33 goes on to say that he even built him an altar. Built him a temple. Do you see what happened when God told the people, don't marry the foreign women? They married the foreign women and they left God. Now here's the application for us. How many Christians have lost and are losing their faith because they have married worldly-minded spouses or spouses who are a part of man-made churches. You can't tell me that it's not going on. I've seen people I thought were devoted and loyal to the Lord 
marry someone, and they leave the church and leave the Lord. They do not share the like precious faith. Second Peter 1 and verse 1 speaks of those who have obtained a like precious faith. They don't share the same love for God that we do. And same love for the truth. Only Christians have the hope of not only sharing a precious life together here, but one together in eternity. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, he talks about not sorrowing as others who have no hope. And then he talks about when Jesus returns, he will bring with him those who are sleeping in Jesus. And then when you get to verse 17, he says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Folks, marrying those of like precious faith is very extremely important. Now let me move quickly because of time to the next part. Read with me now verses 13 through 16. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard your offering or the offering anymore, nor will he receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one? having a remnant of the Holy Spirit or of the Spirit. And why one? He seeks a godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you none that you do not deal treacherously. Now folks, let me tell you what was going on. Things were not going well in their lives. He talks about them covering the altar there with tears. There's sadness in what is being described. There's nobody who's got a smile on their face in this. Their lives are not going right. There's heartache there. You show me someone going through a divorce, someone whose family is falling apart, and I will show you someone who is grieving deeply. Those of you who have it in your family, like I've had it in my family, you know that is the case. Now, you have to ask the question, why are these things so bad? Why did we find ourselves in this situation? We've got to lay the blame to begin with at the feet of those whose responsibility it was to tell them the truth. I want you to back up with me and look at verses 1 through 9. I'm not going to be able to look at every detail, but I want you to notice with me 
He said in verse 4, Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. Folks, for just a moment, pause with me. And I'll point out to you that the Levites were the family from which the Lord had chosen the priest. Everything they did was related to the worship and the service of God religiously. He didn't even give them land. He gave them 48 Levitical cities, spread them all throughout the people because he wanted them to do a job. Now, verse 5 says, My covenant with him, that is Levi, one of life and peace, and I gave to them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. God chose the Levites. Their job was to teach, to teach God's people. And he said, he walked with me. He did what I told him to do. And the people were taught, and people were turned away from iniquity. Fast forward now to Malachi's time. For the lips of the priest should keep knowledge, and the people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord host. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. You want to know who's responsible for not doing their job? The Levites, the priests, they have not been teaching the people. And because they've not been teaching the people, the people are just doing anything and everything they want to do. And generally a congregation, whether it's the children of Israel or whether it is a congregation of the Lord's people today, a church will be no stronger than those who lead it. Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous are in authority... The people rejoice. But when the wicked man rules, the people groan. In the time of Malachi, the priests were not doing their job of training the people that marriages were for life. We've got people today who will not touch the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage unless they want to teach error on it. They're afraid they're going to offend people sitting in the pew. They're afraid that preaching on this subject is going to upset people. The truth must be taught. In our society today, divorce has become all too common, just like it was among them. They were divorcing over trivial matters. How do I know this? Two main passages of Scripture. Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 and 2. Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9. In Deuteronomy 24, we notice that there was regulations given to limit how bad things had begotten. When a man takes a wife and he marries her, and if it happens she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. And then he goes on to describe what if another man marries her and then maybe he dies. What about him going back to that first husband? And God said, no, that's an abomination. She's been defiled. When I come to the New Testament, 
Jesus takes that passage and notice how he deals with it. The Pharisees also came unto him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh? Then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Then he said, they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for fornication, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Do you see what was happening in in the day of Moses? Do you see what was happening in the first century? Do you know what's happening today? I could ask, and I'm not going to, how many of you have divorce in your families? I don't believe there'd be anybody who didn't raise their hand. It's so commonplace, it's among us everywhere. I'm not going to be like those priests of the Old Testament who failed to live up to their obligation to teach the truth. What we must teach is clearly what Jesus taught. One man for one woman for life. And that the only way in which a person has a righteous way of of dissolving that marriage is if their spouse committed fornication and they were innocent. Otherwise, to divorce and remarry is to commit sin. Such was a violation of their covenant. You see, men make covenants just like God made a covenant with man. When a man and a woman stand side by side before a preacher, sailor of a captain of a ship, or some one duly authorized by law to solemnize that marriage, they say, Do you promise to keep yourself to this person and this person alone so long as you both shall live? Those two simple words, I do or I will are a promise. We call them vows. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 4 and 5 says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. When you promise to get married and remain faithful, and you don't do that, You've been deceitful. Or to use the words, you have dealt treacherously. To deal treacherously means to be deceitful. 
Spouses depend on the promises made to them. Number three, let's look at verse 17 now. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is in the good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Well, where is the God of justice? Many people believe there's no justice in this world. They don't believe there's any right or any wrong. You talk to people today about some topics like homosexuality. Oh, they're all like, well, that's, that's your opinion, that's your belief. As if it really doesn't matter what one believes. That there's no real justice, no real right, and no real wrong. And that's the point which they had gotten to. Such charges God with honoring the wicked the same as the righteous. That says this man over here who lies, cheats, steals, and leaves his wife is just as good as a man who tells the truth, works hard, and is a family man the rest of his life as if God does not care one way or the other. Such really says it doesn't matter how one lives. You want to know how the people in the book of Malachi got in such a bad shape? They lost their interest in God. It's evident in the things they did. They let their families start falling apart, failing to appreciate the justice of God. Now, I want to answer this charge. God does not force a man to do right. God won't force you to tell the truth. God will not force you to live a righteous life. God won't force you to be a Christian. God won't force you to live faithfully as a Christian. Something you yourself have to choose to do. You have to make up your mind, I'm going to do what God has told me to do. God is patient in giving man opportunities to repent. Oh, how many times did he call upon these people, repent, 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 and they didn't. How many opportunities are given to people in the world today to change their lives? But it's a choice. God doesn't force you. And God does not always immediately punish the wicked. That's one of the things that people have often struggled with. I see it in the book of Jeremiah. I see it in Psalm 73. I think it's even present in 2 Peter chapter 3. And all things continue as the worst since the creation of the world. People just don't realize God is going to set all things that are wrong right. He will be the God of justice, but some justice will not be meted out in this world. But you better believe it will be. Some people fail to appreciate the divine justice. Families fall apart when they begin to fall away from God. I want to tell you, I'm really sad when I see young couples start missing the services of the church. Because that's only a symptom. Church attendance is only 
a reflection of the devotion of heart. I grieve when I see people no longer interested in spiritual things. Because you know what I can see in their future? I can see sadness and tears. And I can see many of them's families beginning to fall apart. Sadness and heartache comes when one or more choose not to live godly. I'm going to tell you it's so sad when you see one of the spouses who wants to do what is right, loves God, wants the best for their family, but their other one does not. That's why it's so important for Christians to marry Christians. No, not just marry Christians. Marry faithful Christians. Those who love God and love Him to the point that they would do anything in the world to save your soul. You want to avoid the sadness? You want to avoid the heartache? Marry a faithful Christian. The message of Malachi is if one wants to enjoy the blessings of God, then he must put God first in everything, including our homes. If I could be able to adequately convey to you the book of Malachi, I think it would really, really touch your heartstrings. Because Malachi is trying to bring the people back into a right relationship with God. If you're not a Christian this morning, God loves you. The angels of heaven would rejoice to see your obedience to the gospel. You've got to believe that Jesus is the Christ, repent of your sins, confess your faith in him and be baptized. It may be that in your home that's what's lacking. Your spouse may be a Christian, you may not. It may be that your mother and your father are praying for you and they have been encouraging you to become a New Testament Christian. And what's lacking in your life is making a commitment to the Lord that you will live with the rest of your life. It's possible that you're here as a Christian and you look at yourself and you say, I've messed up. I have not live like I'm supposed to live, and I'm suffering the consequences for it. You can correct that this morning. That's why we're here together as a congregation of God's people, because we want one another to go heaven. If you need to respond, will you come as we stand and sing?